0: Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. He is risen. He's risen. Hey, listen, this is what Job said. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the last day that he will stand on the earth and that I will see him after my body has been decayed, I will see him and not another. I will see him with my eye. He is risen, but he's going to bring all of us with him. He has conquered death, the grave, sin, hell, and the devil. Say, I heard about a mother, woke up one Sunday morning, got ready, went in to wake up her son and said, hey, son, get up, it's time to go to church. He rolled over and groaned and said, Mom, I am not going to church. She says, what do you mean you're not going She said, Mom, listen, I'm going to give you two reasons I'm not going. Number one, he said, I don't like any of those people there. And none of those people like me. And I am not going. And Mom said, let me give you two reasons you are going. First of all, it is Sunday and you are 59 years old. And secondly, get up, you're the pastor. (laughs) All right. Well, this is my 33rd opportunity to preach to you an Easter message. And we're going to do something, we're going to do something a little different today. But I'd like to start with the traditional beginning in Matthew chapter 28. It says, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, his clothes as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But an angel answered and said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He's not here, for he's risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Go quickly, tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. They saw Jesus right after they had seen the empty tomb, the two women. Later that same day, two men on the road to Emmaus saw Jesus and talked with Jesus. Then Jesus appeared to ten of the disciples. They were in a closed room. He suddenly appeared among them, walked through the wall, ate fish in a honeycomb, but Thomas wasn't there. And then he appeared again later where Thomas was there. And then the Bible says that he appeared to over 500 people at one time. Now, how many of you know 500 people don't all have the same hallucination? 500 people at once. And then the Bible tells us, that he fulfilled prophecy after prophecy over 300 prophecies. Predictions, for example, that he'd be born of a virgin, descendant of Abraham, tribe of Judah, house of David, born in Bethlehem, even predicted that John the Baptist would be his forerunner. It was prophesied he would be mocked, beaten, spat on, whipped, betrayed, abandoned by his disciples, that he would have a triumphal entry. He'd be a prophet be crucified, that lots would be cast for his garments, that he would cry out from the cross, that his hands and his feet would be pierced, that his bones, not one of them would be broken, that he would be pierced in his side, that he'd be buried with the rich, that he would be resurrected from the dead, that he'd ascend into heaven, take a seat at the right hand of God. And prophecies, for example, about the crucifixion given hundreds of years before there even were crucifixions, but yet it talked about them piercing his hands, his feet, all of his bones, being out of joint as a result. So many different predictions. Now, Dr. Peter Stone wrote a book entitled Science Speaks, and in it, he took just eight of the predictions about Jesus, and he calculated the probability of just eight Those eight prophecies happening to one individual. And he found that the the answer to that question was 10 to the 17th power, which means absolutely nothing to me. It means it's a big number and that's all. He said, but this will just help. He said, think about the state of Texas. He said, cover the state of Texas with silver dollars two feet deep. Take one silver dollar, paint it red, and hide it and then put a blind man inside a helicopter, have them fly over to Texas. He can stop wherever he wants. And the probability of him getting out and picking up the one red silver dollar is 10 to the 17th power. That's the probability of Jesus just fulfilling eight of the prophecies. But he didn't fulfill eight, or 18, or 28, or 128. He fulfilled 300 different prophecies you know when he appeared to the disciples and and Thomas was there he came to Thomas and he said Thomas put your finger in the holes where the nails were put your fist in my side he said don't be unbelieving but believe and Thomas said I believe my Lord and my God and Jesus said because you have seen me you have believed Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So I want to tell you to begin with four reasons that I believe that Jesus arose from the dead. First of all, the testimony of all the people who saw him. 500 at one time. And even when Paul wrote about that, he said, the most of which are still alive, you want to go talk to them. They'll tell you about it. Then there, there, there is the testimony but beyond the testimony, the martyrdom of the disciples. Think about it. Of Jesus' disciples, there was only one that wasn't martyred, and that was John. And they tried to martyr him. They boiled him in oil, but he wouldn't die. And so they sent him to the island of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. But James was thrust through with the sword under King Herod in 44 AD. Luke was hung by the neck in Greece. Thomas was, was pierced with a spear in India. Philip was preaching and one of his converts was the wife of a proconsul. The proconsul got so mad that he had Philip crucified for preaching and converting his wife. Matthew was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Bartholomew was flogged to death in Armenia. James was thrown off the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. Simon was crucified in Syria. Judas Thaddeus was beaten to death in Mesopotamia. Matthias, who replaced Judas Iscariot, was stoned to death. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was crucified in Greece. You, know, you might tell somebody a lie, but how many know you aren't going to die for a lie? Every one of the disciples was willing to give their life. And all but John gave their life, proclaiming what they had seen, that they, what they had been witnesses to. And then, of course, there's all of these prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled. The odds of one person just fulfilling eight. Can you imagine what the odds are of one person fulfilling all 300? It's it's unbelievable. It's just like an impossible number to comprehend. And then there is the personal affirmation. Because I've felt his presence, his love, and known what he's done in my life and in the lives of others. Hell could not keep him. The grave could not Hold Jesus. J- demons could not stop him. He arose and he said, I have the keys of death and of Hades, and I am alive forevermore. Now, in Hebrews chapter 13, in verse 8, it says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Most of us actually quote the verse like this Jesus is the same yesterday and forever. We believe he used to do great things, and he's going to come someday and do great things, but he's doing nothing today. But the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When Jesus arose from the dead, the Bible says in Philippians that therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. When he arose, he was highly exalted. And this is our key verse this morning, Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 18. Listen, therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you, and therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. He was exalted when he arose from the dead, but the Bible says the reason he was exalted was that he might have mercy on you. Mercy on you. He had mercy on a leper and came and healed him. He had mercy on a woman caught in adultery. They brought this woman caught, they said, in the very act of adultery. What spiritual activity that is. Fine, going out, finding somebody, committing adultery. And then they said, you know, the law says to stone such women. How many of you know it takes two? I mean, if they were looking for justice, where's the guy? Right? But, th- but they said, you know, the law says stoner. What do you say? And Jesus said, whoever is sinless, let them cast the first stone. And, of course, he writes on the ground. And the Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote, but I'll tell you. He wrote names and addresses and looked at folks and they left. <laughs> there were none left. And Jesus, he could have thrown the stone, but he said, neither do I condemn you. He had mercy. He had mercy on a paralytic who was let down by his friends through the roof. And he said to that paralytic, he said, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. How many of you know that is the best news anyone could ever hear? Your sins are (laughs) forgiven you. And today, if you don't know yours are forgiven, you're going to have an opportunity to receive that forgiveness. And then in mercy, he said, take up your bed and walk. And the man was healed. He sent an angel to encourage Paul in a hurricane, to have mercy on him and everybody with him. The angel said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted to you all those who sail with you. Now, Paul is a prisoner, and everybody thinks that they're taking Paul. But God's looking from heaven and says, no, you're going with Paul. Paul's not going with you. Now, I had somebody say once, you know, I don't fly because who knows? You get up there and it might be the captain's time to go. And if you're there, you're in trouble. And I said, I'm not flying with him. He's flying with me. Is that what the Bible says? That's exactly what what God told Paul. Mercy. Mercy on the Samaritan woman who'd been divorced five times, living with somebody not married, and was an outcast in her society. Jesus has mercy on her. She is the first person, he says it to, I am the Messiah, makes her an evangelist. Mercy, that man at the pool of Bethesda who hadn't walked in 38 years and Jesus comes and has mercy and heals him. All through the New Testament, we see Jesus having mercy. But we see Jesus all through the Old Testament. Many of you may not realize this. Theologians call these Christophanies an Old Testament appearance appearance of Jesus before he left heaven and came and was born as a human being. He gave Joshua victory at Jericho, opened the Red Sea for Moses. He he, he brought bread to the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. He said, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. 1 Corinthians 10 says that he was the rock that followed them and gave water. He protected Hezekiah from foreign armies. He hid, the Bible says, Jeremiah so his enemies couldn't find him. He made sure Elijah was fed by ravens. He multiplied a widow's oil so her two sons wouldn't be sold as slaves. He answered Abraham's prayer and rescued the righteous out of Lot. The Bible says he was exalted that he may have mercy on you. So don't read your Bible like a history book, read it like a resume. This is Jesus' resume of the stuff that he does. And what he did, he's doing today. And he will continue to do. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When he arose, the Bible says he took his blood. He went into heaven's temple and he put that blood on the mercy seat. And the Bible says That you've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Cain kills Abel and his blood cries out and says, God, avenge me. Jesus was killed, but his blood cries out and says, have mercy. Forgive them, bless them, save them, deliver them. All through the Old Testament, we find Jesus showing up. And I want to talk to you about one of his Christophanies, one of his Old Testament appearances in the book of Daniel. Now, the Israelites for centuries had been living in the promised land. Jerusalem was the capital. It was literally called the city of God. The temple was there. There, were, there was constantly worship there, offerings for sin there. The prophets walked there and prophesied And one of those prophets was Jeremiah. And as the people turned their back on God, he prophesied and he said, if you repent, God's going to have mercy on you. But if you don't, a foreign king's going to come. He's going to conquer this land and you're going to be taken away as captives. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, his armies are going from kingdom to kingdom, nation to nation and conquering. And because they don't repent, he comes to Jerusalem. He conquers. He takes captives. And among those captives... Are Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are taken to Babylon, they're trained, and they become leaders, they become officials in the government of Babylon. Now the king, he saw the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, is no different than any other God. And he said, I am superior. And the Bible says he makes an image of gold 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. Um, Many theologians tell us that that image was actually an image of himself. And he gets all of the rulers of all of his kingdoms together. And he says, now, he said, we're going to play music. And when I play music, I want every one of you to fall down and worship the image. Well, those three Hebrew children are there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king commands, bow. They play the music, and they refuse to bow. They're the only ones. Now, how many of you know there's always a tattletale somewhere? And sure enough, the king gets the word. These three Hebrews, they refuse. Let me just say this. Your faith in God will always be tested. The devil hates it and opposes it. The world rejects it and ridicules it. The law of faith says this, if you do not bow, you will not burn. But if you bow, you will burn. Salvation really is a decision to live for God. No turning back, no compromise, though none go with me, still I will follow. To live for God at home at work, at school, when you travel, to please God, to love God, to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the earth. He's building his church to want what God wants, what's holy, what's good, what's righteous, right? You see, because you're saved, God puts it down on the inside of you and your soul wants to live for God. You've got the desire to live for God down on the inside. You make up your mind. I'm going to live for God when the trials comes, when the test comes. Let me just say this. There are all sorts of Nebuchadnezzars and fiery furnaces. All sorts of trials are going to come your way. The world says you'll never be happy unless you give in to a worldly lifestyle. But the Bible says the good life, the good life is when you live for God. There's no life like it. All right. You know, when you're, when you're a Christian, when you're, when you're saved, what salvation is, you're, you're praying on the inside and you're saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. You got heaven on the inside. People think, oh, God's trying to get me to heaven. No, he's trying to get heaven in you. Your, 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 your citizenship, the Bible says, it's in heaven. It says this in Hebrews. That he's coming for those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time, apart from sin for salvation. Jesus is coming for those that are eagerly waiting for him. He's coming for those that have heaven in their heart. You see, you can be touched by God. You can feel his presence and drift back into the world, be overcome by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Right? But these three Hebrew children... They refuse to bow, and they, they are brought before the king. And he says, you need to bow or you're going to burn. I'm going to throw you in a fiery furnace. And they can see the king's anger. They can see the flames. They can feel the heat. But they said, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from your hand. And the king said, there is no God that can deliver you from my hand. And he made that furnace seven times hotter and said, you need to bow. But those three Hebrew children, they said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, know this, we will not compromise. This is what they knew. They knew God had already delivered Daniel from a lion's den. They knew that Noah had been delivered from a flood that Lot had been delivered from Sodom, that David had been delivered from Goliath, that Joshua had been delivered at Jericho, that God had delivered Israel from Pharaoh, that he was a deliverer, that he is a deliverer, and that he will be a deliverer. They would not bow no matter what. They said, we'll be delivered, we'll be martyred, but we will not compromise. We will not bow. We understand. You say, If we don't bow, we'll burn. But we know if we do bow, we'll burn. And if we don't bow, we will not burn. That's the law of faith. If you don't bow, you will not move. Faith that is unshakable, faith that is indestructible, faith that will not compromise. So the king throws them into the furnace. The Bible says, These men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, were cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace, Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flames of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And again, the world's full of Nebuchadnezzar's and fiery furnaces. It's full of Goliaths and mountains and giants, trials and persecutions, mockeries, people that will lie about you, that will reject you. But if you refuse to bow, you will not burn. So he has them thrown in. Then the Bible says, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, didn't we cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? And they answered the king and said, true, O king. He said, look. He said, I see four men loosed, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt And the form of the fourth. He's like the son of God. I got news for you. He wasn't just like him. He was him. When they threw those three Hebrew children in i don 't know where God got asbestos suits in heaven, but he had some. He wrapped them up, and by the time they got into that furnace, the fourth man was already there. And when you get into your furnace, God is not far away. God is in the fiery furnace. God is in that place of trial. The Bible says, when you get when he is underneath. He literally, when you're at the bottom, his arms are there to greet you. He is holding you when you're down on the bottom. Now, there's four in the fire. They're not bound anymore. They're free. They're walking around. They're unhurt. They refuse to bow, and because they refuse to bow, they do not burn. Now, he said it looks like the Son of God. And he's like, who is that fourth man that's in the fire? Well, let me tell you about that fourth man. He's seen all through the Bible. He's prophesied about. There's types of him everywhere. In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's a cloud of, a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's a prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In the book of Judges, he's our lawgiver. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer you say, who is that fourth man? In Samuel, he's a prophet. In Kings, he's the seed of David. In Chronicles, he's the reigning king. In Ezra, he's our scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the broken down walls of our lives. In Esther, he's our Mordecai. In Job, he's the redeemer that lives and that will on the last day stand on the earth. The fourth man in Psalms, he's the Lord, your shepherd in Proverbs, he's our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he's the lover of our souls. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he is the righteous branch. In Ezekiel, he's the four-faced man. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in the fire. Hosea, he's the faithful husband. In Joel, he's the sender of revival. In Amos, he's the burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's the one who's mighty to save. In Jonah, he's our great foreign missionary. In Micah, he's the messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, He's the Savior, the Avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he's God's evangelist. In Zephaniah, he's the Savior. In Haggai, he's the restorer of our lost heritage. In Zechariah, he's the fountain that opens for sin. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness that arises with healing in his wings. Who is the fourth man? In the book of Matthew, he's the Messiah. In Mark, the healer. In Luke, the son of man. In John, the son of God. In Acts, the sender of the Holy Ghost. Romans, the justifier. Corinthians, the sanctifier. Galatians, he delivers us from the curse of the law. Ephesians, he's Christ's unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he's the supplier of our needs. In Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Thessalonians, he's the soon-coming king. In Timothy, he's the only mediator between God and man. In Titus, he's a faithful pastor. in he sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he sprinkles his blood that cries out for mercy. In James, he's a great physician. In Peter, he's the chief shepherd. In John, he's love. In Jude, he's coming with tens of thousands of thousands of thousands of his saints. In Revelation, he said, I am he who was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. I've got the keys of the grave, the keys of death, the keys of Hades, King of kings, Lord of lords that fourth man, he's all through your Bible. You say, who is that fourth man? He's Abel's sacrifice, Noah's rainbow, Abraham's ram, Jacob's ladder, Judah's scepter, Balaam's Shiloh, Aaron's rod, Elijah's mantle, Samuel's horn of oil. He's Hezekiah's sundial, Peter's shadow, Stephen's signs and wonders. Who is that fourth man? The Bible says he's a husband to the widow, a father to the orphan, the bright morning star, the lily of the valley, honey in the rock, and the rock of Sharon. He's the pearl of great price, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the mighty counselor, Jesus risen from the dead, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's our Jesus. He's alive, and he is exalted to have mercy on you today. Have mercy. King brought him out, checked him over. He said, Man, their clothes aren't burned. Their hair's not singed. There's not even a smell of fire on them. Do you know when God brings you through a fiery furnace, you come out, you don't even stink. He just brings you out. God did not put them in the furnace, but He got them out. And God doesn't put you in the fiery trial but he will bring you out. And the king, he said, I'm going to make a decree. And he writes a decree to be published everywhere. He said, anybody who speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he said, their house is going to be destroyed. It's because there is no other God who can deliver in this way. Now listen, he can deliver you from a fiery furnace, but he delivers you. From the penalty of sin and he delivers us from the grip of death the bible tells us he did not defeat death for himself he defeated death for you and for me and job in his finest hour he said in the last day my redeemer will stand on the earth and after the worms have eaten my body i will stand up and i will see him myself You know, he understood something many people don't understand today, that Jesus is a deliverer. He's a deliverer from sin, but he's a deliverer from death. He is a deliverer from hell. There is no God who can deliver like our God. None anywhere. None. All right. No one moving unless it's absolutely necessary, but every head bowed and every eye closed. Many people really believe good people go to heaven. But the Bible teaches that good people don't go to heaven. That forgiven people go to heaven. That everyone is welcome. But everybody gets in the same way. We all need to meet the same requirements. It is such a tragedy that people can go to church and still believe that just because they're there they're right with God. That because they're a good person. And We love you enough and respect you enough to tell you the truth, that you are not a Christian by association because your parents are Christian, because you go to a church. Don't be deceived and think good people go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. It doesn't work that way, that good people. There's there's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. That means your way won't get you to heaven. My way will not get me to heaven. There's one way, and that's God's way. And God's way is through Jesus. So Jesus said you must be born again. What does that mean? That means you need to give him all of your heart and all of your life. It is an an all or nothing relationship with Jesus Christ. And again, somebody needs to tell you the truth. And we love you. We respect you enough to tell you the truth. You're here in God's house today by divine appointment. There is a reason. And you're here, many of you, because you need to get right with God. And you could leave this place exactly the way that you came. But today is your opportunity to change your eternal destiny. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. I know that you know about Jesus. You're here in church on Easter you celebrate Christmas. In your head, you know who Jesus is. But salvation is not about your head. Salvation is about your heart. You have to give all of your heart and all of your life to Jesus. And he is not a thief. He will not steal your heart and life. He's not a manipulator to deceive you into giving your heart and life. It is your choice. And if you have not given Jesus all of your heart and all of your life, you still have it, and he will not take it by force. But he said, you must be born again. And again, it is an all-or-nothing relationship. Jesus said this. He said, because you're lukewarm and you're not hot and you're not cold, he said, I will spew you out of my mouth. You might think you're a real Christian, but you're deceived. Jesus said, if you're lukewarm, if you're half in, quarter in, he said, you're believing a lie. Lukewarm people do not make it. And we've been here today. We've worshiped, we sang, we heard the word, we clapped, but you can walk out of this place exactly the way that you came in, or you can walk out of this place born again, right with God, forgiven. The Bible says to as many as receive him, To them he gives the right to become the children of God. You need to receive him. You need to give him all of your heart and all of your life. In just a moment, I'm going to count to three. When I say three, I want you to lift your hand. Do not be like so many people and just think, I'm good. I'm a good person. I'm going to make it. No, Jesus said you must be born again. And as you lift your hand, the first thing that you're saying is you're saying, God, I know I'm a sinner, need a Savior. And I'm coming to Jesus today to be saved and to be forgiven, one. As you lift your hand, you're saying, God, today I'm coming and I'm holding nothing back. I'm giving all of my heart and all of my life, and I'm receiving Jesus today. And I'm going to be born again, two. Now get ready. You lift your hand. You're saying, today, by faith, I'm going to receive Jesus. I'm giving him all of my heart and all of my life. He's going to come in. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. He's going to make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family. on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up right now. Lift it up. Thank you. I see that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand. Four, five, six hands here. More hands over there. More in the back. More hands over here. Back here, thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Hands over here, more hands up in the balcony. Lift them high. Thank you. God bless 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 you. More hands here, more over there. Up in the balcony again. Thank you. God bless you. All right. Everybody, please stand. Nobody moving. Nobody moving around. Now, if you lifted your hand, please look right at me. Move to the aisle that's nearest you. Grab your coat, your purse, the person you came with, whatever you need. But come right down here. God is going to meet us right here. We're going to say amen in just a moment. When we say amen, your path will be gone. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. From the balcony, you make your way down. We're going to wait for you. Come on down. You lifted your hand, make your way. Make your way. We're going to wait, we're going to pray. God is going to meet you right here. A miracle is going to happen in your life. Jesus said it. Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And when we say amen, you're going to be forgiven. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. Your life will not be the same. It's going to be changed. You're coming into his kingdom. You're coming into his family. There is nothing more important Than what you're doing Jesus said Every person Has to do this I've done it Many of you have done it If you haven't You need to give him All of your heart All of your life We're excited The Bible says When one sinner repents That there's rejoicing In heaven And we are excited About what God Is doing In your heart In your life You will not Be the same Awesome Again from the balcony Come on down Okay. Awesome. Awesome. You know, I was right there 42 years ago, and prayed a prayer from Romans 10. We're going to pray that prayer, all right? It's been working for 42 years, and if Jesus tarries 42 years from now, you pray this prayer, this prayer is still going to be working in your life, all right? Now, this is what the Bible says, Romans 10, verse 13, right? This is not based on some feeling that you have or I have. Alright, this is based on the Bible. This is based on what the Bible God's word says. God can't lie. This is his promise. He says, Whosoever, that means you. This is gonna work for you. Alright? The devil says, Oh, you've been bad. That's why you need this. All right That's why I needed it. That's why all of us need it. Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord. We're gonna call on his name the way the Bible tells us to. And this is God's promise will be saved we say amen your past is going to be gone you're going to be forgiven you're going to be right with God you're going to be on your way to heaven you're going to be a part of his family part of his kingdom forever all right you ready okay I think everybody's made it take one hand put it over your heart lift your other hand towards heaven where our help comes from make these words your own just pray this out loud say oh God I believe Jesus died on the cross I believe his blood paid for my sins I believe he rose again and I receive him today as my Lord and Savior I give him all of my heart and all of my life and though none go with me still, I will follow. I thank you for blood washing me from my sin, that my past is gone, that I am your child, that you make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family, today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome! Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.